Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so excited uh, for two reasons. Number one, I'm not the one preaching today. Y'all can have a seat. I'm sorry. Y'all can have a seat. Number one, I'm not the one preaching today, but I'm excited because the brother who is preaching uh, is phenomenal. He's amazing. Uh, I get the honor of calling him friend, brother. Uh, I was I actually approached him roughly three to four years ago now when the Lord was telling us to plant a church. And he was the first person I spoke, uh, uh, approached and said, I think the Lord wants you to go with us. I'm going to tell you right now, guys, don't ever approach a female like that and don't ever approach other people like that. The Lord telling me this, but yet uh, God was speaking and uh, he has built a friendship that I couldn't imagine. So today we have Mr. Wayne Penn Pen Jr. Uh, preaching for us. Give him a hand real quick. There we go. <laughs> I told him I'm going to embarrass him. Uh, so Wayne Penn Jr., uh, we at this church, we believe in plurality of elders, which means we believe there should be multiple pastors and elders who can declare the word of the Lord. Uh, but because we're a church plant, we're not in a position yet to have a plurality of pastors and elders. But we do have well-qualified men in our midst who can handle the word. Wayne happens to be one of those brothers. He is a husband to Fee, a father to Corey and Cammie. Um, He is currently working on his MDiv from RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. Um, And he is currently also on the uh, currently on staff at Riverside as the assistant pastor resident family. uh, Okay, there we go. I was like assistant pastor family resident. He he do a lot of stuff and he also uh, helps us out with worship on Sundays, but because he was preaching this morning, um, when I reached out to Ty, she said, my dad can play. And I was like, really? Ask him if he come help us. Come on now. But I'm so thankful for this brother. Um, so I'm going to ask him to come up. I want to pray over him real quick. And then I'm going to read your text for you to help you out. And then uh, the next voice you will hear will be Mr. Wayne Penn Jr. Let me pray for you real quick. Father, we're so thankful that you have given us such great gifts, even at this early stage. Father, I pray as Wayne comes up to preach your word, that he would walk confidently in what you are doing in him, that the spirit will move freely through him, that he will preach your word with boldness and clarity. That he will decrease and you will increase and you will show yourself strong through him. Allow him to live in the weakness of himself and show yourself strong, Father. And as we continue our time in this, in your word, help him to show us how it unfolds and the story that you're telling is continue on today. So, Father, be with this brother and be with us. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
right, I'm gonna let you get to the back so I'll read real quick. I ain't. Um, we're coming, we're continuing our time in the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And it reads, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distribution and distributed the proceeds as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meet together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Good evening, family. <laughs> I am appreciate you, man. <laughs> so privileged to stand before you today. Uh, as I always tell people whenever I preach, I'm nervous and excited. Nervous because I'm not handling a light thing. This is the word of the Lord. But excited because it's a privilege to be able to proclaim his word and to share with you all in this. So um, I appreciate my brother. God has a sense of humor because I'm not sure if he's the type of guy that I would have ordinarily been friends with, just to be real. But God has a way of bringing people together that you would have never thought. And as he said, the friendship, the brotherhood that we have now is beyond words. It's it's crazy. Like I I have this old saying that I heard that uh, you don't always have to know people long to know them well. And that's how I feel about Jay Will. So appreciate you, man. Um, as he read from Acts, uh, the second chapter, verses 42 through 47. And by the way, he did a brilliant job uh, outlining the first 41 verses of Acts 2 last Sunday. Those of you all that were here, he went through that. He went through Genesis 1 through 10. He kind of skipped through the prophets. He did a brilliant job. So I got some big shoes to fill this morning, uh, this afternoon, rather. But I really just want to talk about specifically the phrase in verse 44 about how all the believers had all things in common. And that's really the main thought that I want to leave with you. And I want to start by giving you a backdrop of what's going on. So I want everybody to kind of use their imagination. I'm not of the belief that, you know, when you come into a church, you leave your brain at the door. Bring your brain with you by all means. So imagine, if you will, if you were a member of the very first church plant, the very first one. And your launch service was literally just initiated by the Holy Spirit, right? No worship team, no mics, no foyer, no lobby with a nice hospitality or welcome team. No screens (laughs) with song lyrics or announcements to help the visitors understand what's going on. In fact, frankly, the visitors are only there because they thought there maybe a storm was coming through. You know, the rushing mighty wind. Y'all stay with me. You also notice that along with this overwhelming undeniable sense of the presence of God that you and the other 119 people that were in your typical prayer meeting are suddenly able to speak in languages that you didn't know or understand before. You're a little confused. You're also just in awe of what's happening and you and the others just start chatting it up about the goodness of God, his amazing things that you've experienced with Jesus and with the others there. Now the visitors at this point 
are confused, and rightfully so, because, again, you're a little confused. You're still kind of scratching your head about all this. Then you hear someone claim that you all are um, a bit tipsy, uh, on the sauce, wasted, under the influence. <laughs> Insert whatever, you know, euphemism you want in there. Disrespectful, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you see Peter. You know Peter. You know, good old loud mouth kind of jump or leap before, not looking before he leaps Peter, right? You see Peter step up like a boss and start dropping knowledge about the whole thing. First off, he, he kind of kills this y'all the drunk noise. Then he starts quoting scripture, name dropping prophets, connecting dots to stuff that they said centuries ago. And then giving these visitors basically the business about how they crucified Christ and the need for them to turn and repent to him. Now you're looking at Peter like, I didn't know you had that in you. The visitors actually hear him out and they repent. And then all of a sudden, you go from 120 members to 3,120 members in one day. Now we would call this a ministry win, right? Yeah, but now what? Now what? We didn't plan for this. Couldn't have. All, the only instruction we got from Jesus was go to Jerusalem and wait. That's it. <laughs> no strategy, no Acts 29, you know, church planning network to kind of help you work through the various church growth strategy and planning and that kind of thing. What in the world are we going to do with 3,000 more church members? Now, my point in, in kind of giving you that backdrop is I want to really demystify the early church. We, we often put people in the Bible, particularly, you know, if you look to the Old Testament at uh, heroes like Abraham and Moses, David, uh, or some of the lady heroes, Deborah and Esther. Um, we tend to put people on this pedestal when they're really not supposed to be there. And particularly with the New Testament church, you know, as a preacher, I, I've done this. We often tend to put the New Testament church on a pedestal as well. Yes, there's much to admire about the early church, much to admire, much to learn from them. But they were real people with real dilemmas, not having all the answers and in need of the same guidance by the Holy Spirit that we need today. This message will not be a scolding about how awesome the church was back then and how awful we are now. That's, that's not what I'm aiming for today. Rather, I hope to show not only what the believers then had in common with each other, but also what we have in common with them and how that timeless commonality can inform our unity today. Y'all with me so far? All right. So verse 42, we're just going to walk through the text. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Question, what made the apostles' teaching the apostles' teaching? Was it the apostles? Was it how great or gifted they were? I would argue no. What made the apostles' teaching significant and worthy of being followed was its primary source. That's Jesus. 1 Corinthians verse 1 or chapter 1, verse 26 to 31 says, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. This is Paul talking, by the way, to the Corinthian church. 
Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What made the apostles' teaching the apostles' teaching was not the apostles. They were not that significant in and of themselves. Jesus didn't pray all night regarding the apostles thinking that he was going to choose from the the, the best seminaries in Jerusalem and the most well-qualified business organizations. He's going to put this posse together, right? It's going to have all the answers. No, he chose fishermen. He chose tax collectors. He chose a zealot, almost like a, if you want to look at it, a terrorist in a sense, right? He he chose people that you would not have ordinarily put on your team because the significance was not in them. The significance was in the one who called them. Now, how can we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Now, those of us, as Jay Will pointed out, that had the gift to teach and preach God's word can devote ourselves to being faithful to sound doctrine, right? We can all be faithful, however, to reading and studying God's word We all need to be people of the book, not just the preachers, not just the teachers, not just the small group leaders. We all need to be people of the book, regardless of your role or function in the body. That's how we can follow and devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching today. Just because we don't have Peter and John and James and all the others with us today does not mean that we cannot follow in their teaching. Uh, James Walden. Gentleman back there who's who's the lead pastor of Riverside. I recall one of his blog posts where he talked about following in the apostolic tradition. One of the quotes that he had was that the revelation uh, was received directly from Christ by the apostles, proclaimed, preserved, and proven in their ministry through the extraordinary agency of the Holy Spirit. And then it was passed on or entrusted to the church once for all. So in other words, What Jesus had invested in the apostles was not not just for the early church. It's for us today. And if we're faithful to the book, we're walking in that same tradition. So they're not the only ones that can devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's really the point I'm making in this. Now, they were also devoted to fellowship and breaking of bread. Fellowship was not just hanging out. Wasn't just kicking it with each other. Though, there's value in that. Right? There's value in that. I, I don't know about you all, but I want to be a part of a church where we can enjoy each other's company. I don't like stiff, phony people. That, that, that's, just not my, <laughs> that's just not my cup of tea. I, I like people that I can actually enjoy myself with, let my hair down, open up, be, value, be vulnerable, be open, be honest, and just cut up with. That's valuable. We as a church should learn to enjoy each other's company more. But fellowship in the New Testament sense Specifically, the idea of koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. Those of you all that have any kind of uh, seminary background or been in church for some time know that koinonia is a Greek word specifically translated as fellowship. Though it goes deeper, like I said, than the old just traditional hanging out. 
it meant that as a community, they had all things in common. All things in common. Not in the superficial sense of liking the same clothing brand or liking the same kind of music, but in the fact that they were all bound to a common Lord and that they all shared a common experience of his grace and power. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Y'all seeing a pattern here? One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So koinonia, also in the New Testament sense, came to be understood by the early church as a means to break down barriers between Jews and Gentiles. In other words, the breaking down of racial ethnic barriers, social political barriers, and other things that so easily divide us, these are also things that characterize the early church. Now that should sound familiar, because if we're honest, particularly the racial ethnic issue, that is a big issue today that's coming to a head. Now the early church didn't do this perfectly. Again, I'm looking to demystify them. Peter, specifically, really had to grow into this. Even as he was preaching the gospel, he was, that awesome sermon that he gave in, in, in Jay Will's sermon last week, it was primarily the Jews. So he, he didn't quite fully grasp the idea that God was coming and giving this promise of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to everybody. Peter had to grow into that. You look uh, forward in Acts 10, with his encounter with Cornelius, God has to come to Peter in a vision, lay out this, for all, uh, all intents and purposes, picnic with meat that was not kosher. <laughs> you know, pork chops and tenderloin and steak and all that kind of stuff, you know. Stuff that the Jews, you know, they, they more or less stayed away from. And, and Jesus is like, you know, arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm on my keto diet. I don't need that. Um, but what God was trying to point out to Peter was, don't, don't call what I've called clean, unclean. And then he took that and applied it to people, to Gentiles. And so it took that vision. And Cornelius himself also getting a vision, coming to Peter's house, knocking on his door and saying, look, we got to talk. And from there, Peter began to understand, oh, wait, okay, this gospel is not just for my ethnic group. Just as they had to grow in this, we also have to grow into and strive to break down these barriers. We have to strive for it. We do. We do. To my white brothers and sisters, look, just to be real, you should strive to have more in common with your black and other minority brothers and sisters than you do with some of your hard-nosed, conservative, or liberal-leaning, non-believing friends. And as black brothers and sisters, look, we got to strive to have more in common with our white brothers and sisters than any of our conscious, pan-African, black power movement, 5%er, black Hebrew Israelite, non-believing friends. We should have more in common with each other than we do with everybody else. Regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our political affiliations, we got to put that stuff to the side for the sake of unity. One of the most quoted passages of scripture, Galatians 3, verse 28. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And because we're one in Christ, 
breaking bread with each other, being all up in each other's lives and homes, meeting together in the temple, as is laid out in a lot of these verses here, or in a borrowed church building or warehouse or school or whatever meeting place the Lord provides us. (laughs) All of this should be second nature to us. We, We may not literally sell our possessions or property. That may never happen. We're in a different context economically and socially. But we can seek to follow in the spirit of what they were doing. If there's a need in the body, we as a church should strive with all our effort to meet that need. I, brother, I got you. Sister, I, I got you. I'm not going to let you go lacking on my watch. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have as a church. How that plays out, we, we can talk about that. We can talk about strategy and method and structure. We, we, we can work all that stuff out. But the bottom line is, you're not going to go lacking on my watch. Because we're one. Acts 4, verses 35 through 35, 34 through 35, as it points out. And I actually let you turn there. Because it, it more or less recapitulates what was spelled out in, in the verses that I'm reading. Acts 4, verses 34 to 35. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. That's what they were about. That's what they were about. Now, again, they didn't pull this off perfectly. They didn't. In fact, this this method of of selling possessions and having uh, property in common, they actually had to adjust it for various reasons. I I just read verses towards the end of Acts Acts 4 and Acts 5. It literally starts off with the narrative of Ananias and Sapphira. So you got your first snag in this grand plan that you thought was just everything until sin comes in, (laughs) right? (laughs) And Ananias and Sapphira... Basically, they were trying to be deceitful about the amount of property that they sold and the amount of distribution that they were giving. So I put a hole in that. And then if you go in Acts 6, there was also discrimination in the distribution of funds. Specifically, uh, the Hellenistic or Greek widows were not getting a fair amount of distribution as the Hebrew or Jewish widows. Now, this, 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 this selling property method worked until it didn't. And that's okay, because we can still have things in common even if methods change. Just because something doesn't work doesn't mean that we can't work together to adjust and keep pushing. Now, verse uh, 43 of Acts 2. I don't want to just totally ignore the signs and wonders that the apostles were performing. I Look, my background, I'm, I'm Church of God in Christ, Pentecostal. I fully believe in the gifts of the Spirit and the miraculous. A to the men. <laughs> but I also don't want to give them more attention than they actually deserve either. Because the signs and wonders aren't what define the early church. I'm going to say that again. The signs and wonders aren't what define the early church nor are they what held the church together. As a matter of fact, Jesus often warned against being too caught up with signs. Matthew 12, for instance, Matthew 12, 38 through 40, he has this discourse with the scribes and Pharisees. 
And they say to him, look, teacher, we want a sign. Show us a sign. You bad. Show us a sign. And he told them an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The only sign that ultimately mattered was Jesus getting up from the grave. All the other miracles, all the other healing and casting out demons was really pointing to that. And Paul, Paul actually brilliantly lays this out in 1 Corinthians 15. Read that chapter when you get a chance. Paul talks about how essential the resurrection is to our faith. If Jesus didn't get up, this is all a moot point. This is all in vain. If Jesus is still in the grave, what are we doing here? The other signs and miracles and wonders and healings, those are good and they have their place, but they're not the main thing. The apostles, whenever they were performing these miracles, immediately, immediately deflected attention off of them and brought the attention back to Jesus. You notice that through most, if not all of the instances in scripture, when they healed people and they'd have people coming up to them and they'd have people starting to bow down. I'm like, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, get back up. I'm a man just like you. I am not the one that you need to be attributing this to. I'm healing in the name of the one, and Peter keeps saying this, that you crucified. <laughs> that guy's the, the one I'm healing in, okay? Hey, people, you don't need to be impressed with the works we're doing. I feel like this is what the apostles are saying. Don't be impressed with us. Be impressed with the work he's done. Church, let, let's not get preoccupied with trying to be impressive or spectacular. Let, let's please not do that. Let everyone, let everything that we do point back to Jesus. That's really all we need. Even if it makes us look mundane, even if it makes us look like the church that not everybody wants to to come to or or rave about or post about on social media, fine. I'm, I'm cool with that. As long as what we're doing points back to Jesus, I don't need the spectacle. I don't need it. As long as I'm one with him and one with you, that's what matters most. Looking at verses 46 and 47, and believe it or not, I'm actually almost done. It's my sincere hope that this church, City of Refuge, will be full of joy and praise and favor. I look at what's going on in verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. And broke bread from house to house. And breaking bread, by the way, many scholars actually attribute to the sacrament of communion. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. I pray that our meeting together, again, in whatever temple God provides, will be consistently filled with joy and praise. But that this joy and this praise won't be stuck here when we leave. Let's not just be a joyful, praising church in the four walls. Let's take this into our homes. Let's take this into our neighborhoods. Let's take this onto our jobs or wherever we go. Joy and praise should mark us as a people. And I pray it characterizes our daily lives together in community. I pray not just for joyful hearts, as it says here, but uh, it says joyful and sincere hearts. I don't need or want phony community. I I, I don't have time. I'm getting older. (laughs) I don't need phony community. 
I want us to be joyful over what's real, not what's imagined. Every day, at the, the tail of verse, verse 47 says, every day the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. And I believe this is significant as well. Because we don't just want members for numbers sake. We want those afar off to be birthed by the spirit into the family of God. We don't just want crowds. We want new brothers and sisters to share in this abundant life that God has given us. And, and, and when, when you look at the early church and when you look at us today, we have our differences. But we're not so different. We're not so different. I, I go back to Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There's one body. There's one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in all. We're not so different from the early church. Really, we have all things in common because we serve the same Lord and we're part of the same family. Now let's walk that out. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for adopting us into your family. We are so undeserving. We are, we are so not worthy of the grace and love and mercy that you have lavished on us. And God, we pray that as uh, your word says in Ephesians 4 and 1, that we would walk worthy of the manner in which we have called. We, we ask that you would help us to walk worthy of the calling. Walk in a manner, God, that uh, exudes humility and patience and gentleness and long-suffering. Help us, God, to strive for unity, to hold all things in common. And when we get it wrong, help us to repent. And when we don't get along, help us, God, to reconcile. God, we're going to face problems. We're going to face challenges. But I believe that because we serve one Lord, because we are one body, because we are united and knit together by one spirit, and we all have one Father, that we can walk and function as your church. Give us strength. Give us patience. And God, give us your wisdom and above all, your presence in the days to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.